probably one of the most sterling examples of faithful prayer to be found in church history. Uh, was actually uh, in the, uh, the early 19th, actually the entirety of the 19th century, a man by the name of George Mueller. George Mueller was actually a native German, but he spent uh, uh, his life, the greatest portion of his life, in England. Um, he was a part of the, uh, the Great Awakening there of 1859, and it's spoke about in his journals about the conversions of hundreds of thousands of people coming to know the Lord. He worked alongside of folks like D.L. Moody. He actually substitute preached for Charles Spurgeon. Uh, and he inspired uh, the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor taking the gospel around the world. But perhaps his most famous work of what he did was there in Bristol. And there in, in Bristol, England, he pastored the same church for over 66 years. Faithful long-term ministry. And began and took care of orphans through the orphanage there. It's interesting to, to hear the testimony of Mueller talking about why he founded the orphanage. And certainly you think, well, it's to take care of orphans. And yes, that was a secondary reason for founding the orphanage. The primary reason, he said, is I want to make God's glory known. I want people to see the faithfulness of God. I want people to see that the Lord will provide. And, and throughout the, the ministry there, it's interesting, by his own testimony, he, uh, he would speak about the events that would happen uh, each morning, each day, as they were taking care of the orphans. Matter of fact, one house mother... Uh, was, was speaking one day and said, uh, Master Mueller, the children are dressed and they're ready for school, but there is no food on the table for them to eat. Well, George asked her to take the 300 children that they had at that time living in the orphanage, take them to the dining room and have them to sit down at the table. He sat down at the table with them. He thanked God for the food and he sat and waited. He had a confidence of faith that God would provide And the testimony that he gave was within minutes of saying amen to that prayer, there was a knock at the door. There was a baker standing there at the door. Say, Mr. Mueller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would need bread this morning. And so I got up and I baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Well, if that wasn't enough, there was another knock at the door. It was a milkman. The milkman had had his truck break down right outside the gates of the orphanage. His truck had broken down. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel got fixed. He asked George, he said, could you use some free milk? George smiled as the milkman brought in 10 large cans of milk, and it was enough to take care of 300 orphans. Throughout his ministry, he was deliberate in not asking a man for anything. He, he took every need of that orphanage, every need of those children. He took everything to the Lord in prayer for food, for clothing, for soap, to take care of them for the day. He used as an example the, uh, the children of Israel in the desert that each day they would get what they need, not stockpiles for the future, but what they needed that day. Give us this day our daily bread. I'd encourage you to, to go back. There are several very short, easy-to-read biographies or his autobiography uh, to, to look at the, the work that was done there in caring for thousands of orphans and raising millions of dollars in contributions and funds and never asking a man for anything. It's a man of faithful prayer, a man who trusted in the Lord and went to him to provide that which he needed.
The parable, the story, excuse me, the story before us is a visual parable of the fig tree. The fig tree and Jesus as he passed by. You may notice that from last week to this week we have uh, skipped over the first part of chapter 11. We covered the triumphal entry. We skipped ahead to that passage this last Palm Sunday. And we're proceeding on in the text. We're in Mark chapter 11, uh, picking up in verse 12. We'll read 12 through 14. We'll skip over the passage of the temple cleansing. We'll pick up with uh, Jesus explaining and talking about the issue of the fig tree. And our next lesson will be the cleansing of the temple. But this is God's word. We begin reading in verse 12, Mark chapter 11. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard it. Verse 20. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it shall be done for him. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Pray with me. We thank you, Lord, for this, your word, that though the grass withers and the flower fades, your word endures. We thank you, Father for its faithful application to our hearts and lives. Write it upon our hearts, emblazon it upon our minds, Lord, that we would walk in the fullness of knowing and abiding in your will. Lord, I pray that we would hear the voice of our Savior and that it would ring with the truth of eternity in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) You, You read this passage, and I have to say that the first time I read this, uh, the first time I'm, I'm sitting down going through the Gospels as a, as a young Christian, I, I read this passage and I think, wow, Jesus is having a bad day. I mean, doesn't, doesn't it seem that way? You look at that and you say, why, why in the world? Is, is he hungry? Or as we say in our house, Jesus is hungry and he's not real happy. We, we call that hangry, right? It can, can be a bit, bit hangry where you're just, you know, you're just nothing, nothing's good because you're ready to eat. And it says he was hungry. Uh, This is certainly a testimony to the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus is everything that makes man man apart from original sin is found in our Savior. He had to eat. He had to eat. Uh, But many have seen this to be a a time to be very uncharitable and inaccurate about Jesus, that he was just being irritable, that he was just pitching a fit and taking it out on this poor, unsuspecting fig tree. But we know, as we look in the context of Jesus walking with his disciples, as he spent time with his apostles, he used every opportunity to be a teaching moment, did he not? And certainly, as we read this, we can sit back and say, wow, that, that, that sounds to be odd behavior, but we need to listen to Jesus. We need to hear his explanation. We need to see the connection. And we certainly need to listen to it, understanding that this is the sinless one. This is the one who would not be arbitrarily irritable or irrationally angry 
simply because he didn't get what he wanted. This is our Savior. This is the eternal Son of God. Well, let's look at the context of what's going on here. Remember that without a context, a text can be used as a pretext for anything. If you take things and you rip them out of context, you can make the Bible say things that are not true. So we always want to be careful to place things within the entire passage that God has divinely appointed to surround the text we're looking at. Well, the immediately previous passage is the triumphal entry a passage we're familiar with. We close our eyes and we have visions of our children walking down the center aisle at church, crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, remembering what it must have been like there on the road coming in, Jesus upon the, uh, that, that small colt as he, as he comes into the city. Uh, the people crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The scribes and the Pharisees running to Jesus and says, you need to tell people to hush. You need to tell them to stop that. And, and Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, no. They're going to praise. They're going to worship. Because if they don't, uh, the very rocks and the stones, they'll cry out. The people are praising. They're, they're saying, blessed, Lord Jesus. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, Jesus knows. He knows their hearts as He knows ours. And they praise. And as they praise, we know it's very shallow praise for so many of them. They're now saying, Hosanna will be those who would say, crucify Him. Perhaps not all, but many. We'd see the mixed feelings, a shallow praise of, of their excitement in the moment and their disappointment when Jesus is not what they expect. That's the immediate, the context right before this. And then what we're going to see is a cleansing of the temple. Right in the midst of all of this, Jesus going into Jerusalem, going into the temple where worship ought to be, and instead of finding worship, there he finds commerce. Instead of finding praise, he finds giving and, and uh, buying and selling. He finds a place of business. It's not a place now for the, all the nations to come, but it's an exclusive club for the few. A place of bustling activity, but lacking in real and true faith. And so the passage we have before us, it says they were coming from Bethany. Well, we need to see that Jesus and his disciples, each evening they'd go back to Bethany. Remember the place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were? Where that was Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead. It was kind of his home away from home. And while he was there in Jerusalem, he would go and he'd lodge there in Bethany. And so he's coming along and he's thinking, I, I sure would like something to eat. And as he's walking down the road, he sees the fig tree. And we look at that and, and read the passage with me there. It says, he saw in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it, verse 13. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. It wasn't the season for figs. Well, we have to ask the question there, well, if it's not the season for figs, why did he expect to see figs there? And I had to rely on folks that know more about fig trees than I do not a particular fan of figs or figgy pudding or anything like that, but we, we, we read about what was taking place. First off, that the tree was in leaf. And this teachable moment that Jesus uh, was, was bringing before his apostles was this. They were approaching this tree. It was a tree that appeared to be full. And from my understanding, would have been a time when there would have been uh, some small little baby, little miniature figs, little tiny figs there. Not the full-size figs that would come in the season, but there'd be something for him to take and to pop and to eat as he went along. But he saw this tree that was in leaf, but it had no fruit. A leaf which made promises that the tree did not fulfill. Leaves that seemed to say that the tree was full, and yet as he got close, he saw no fruit. Hmm. 
Jesus, as he looked, he said, this, this leafy tree, certainly there'll be some little figs that I can munch along the way, but he doesn't find them. The tree has the appearance, but it doesn't produce. It doesn't bear fruit. The reality that Jesus found was not the measuring up to the promise that the leaves had made. That's, that's the important thing to look at, this situation, because it's very deliberate in the text to say it was a fig tree in leaf. And when Jesus looked, it seemed that this would be something that would be profitable, be good. There was great promise there, but it doesn't follow through. And like I said, so we start looking at this fig tree, and we look at the context in which it's, uh, it's there, and saying, what is Jesus teaching His apostles And also, we have to ask, what is Jesus teaching me today? Well, I have to say that looking at that fig tree was a whole lot like Jesus walking in Jerusalem and what he saw there. This was the time of the Passover, was it not? Great religious activity, a fervor, a buzz about the city. We thought about that last week when we saw blind Bartimaeus, remember? And he was, all these people were passing by, and he heard the rumblings about Jesus passing by, and we, we, we see the, the great activity that was going on there. But what did he find? He saw the work of the scribes and the Pharisees, the ones that he called blind guides, whitewashed tombs, filthy cups that which looked good, that which looked right, that which looked to be productive, but he calls them hypocrites. Why? Because at their heart, in their core, actually upon their limbs, they bear no fruit. They're all a leaf, but there's no fruit. It's promise, but no substance. And so Jesus, as they're passing by the next morning in the second part of our text, the the disciples, they saw the fig tree and that it had withered away to its roots. And Peter, remember this, and of course we always count on Peter to be the one to talk about it. He wasn't going to sit back and just observe it quietly. He was have to say, look, Rabbi, look, remember that fig tree you cursed? It's now withered. This is the, you know, the next time they pass by. And Jesus answers them. He says to have faith. Have faith in God. And then he begins to speak about true faith. So we have to, to say this, this, this fig tree, this fig tree Jesus is using as a visible parable. He could have just told the story. We, we think about other things too. If, if this was just a matter of Jesus being a bit hangry, what, what would he have done? He would have walked past a, a fruitless tree and, and spoken, and the tree immediately would have given forth figs, right? be like a fish giving forth a coin or, or manna coming from heaven. Certainly Jesus could have spoken and the tree bore fruit, but instead what was so much more important is that his apostles would be spiritually fed and informed and given uh, a great moment of teaching there through this visible parable. And he's talking to them about having and exercising biblical faith. Having and exercising biblical faith. He says so very simply and clearly, just the four words right there, have faith in God. Well, I would imagine the, the apostles would have said, okay, okay. They, they, they'd ask him once before, says, uh, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Essentially, we have faith, but we also recognize there's a great deal of faithlessness about us. There's a great deal of lack of faith that they need to grow in their faith. As I, I pray that we all this morning say, I, I, I certainly recognize this morning my faith is weaker than I desire it to be. And I know that there are men and women in this room of strong faith. 
men and women of this room who do trust in the Lord and count upon Him in a, in a biblical and a strong way, in a way that encourages and even humbles me to, to look and to see and say, thank you, Lord, for, for the faith that, that I see exemplified in so many lives. But I, I believe that all of us, all of us as we read God's words and say, Lord, my, my faith is weaker than I would like it to be. And so what is the biblical faith? What is Jesus calling to us? I think three things that we see uh, is, is a simple faith. It's, a, it's an audacious or a bold faith. And it is a forgiving and a prayerful faith. So it's simple. It's bold. And it's forgiving. This is the way Jesus is, is speaking to us in this passage. What does He begin? He says, Truly, I say to you, This is that verily, verily, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believe that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And what Jesus is pressing us to there is not the arbitrary application of some sort of cosmic power to do great and miraculous signs that other people would go, ooh, and ah. He's not calling us to all be some sort of spiritual David Copperfield, that we would make elephants disappear and, and, and buildings disappear and cars and women and children and things all disappear and reappear for the, the purpose of astonishing folks. That's not what he's saying. Neither should we just walk up and arbitrarily call for a landslide and earthquake that the mountain would fall into the sea. But he was taking one of the most audacious examples of, of what a prayer could accomplish and saying, that even the earth would have to yield to a prayer in faith when it's done in accordance with God's word, accordance with his desire, so that we would ask for such bold things. He begins, he says, so very simply, have faith in God. We've, we've talked about faith. We've talked about the faith that has healed so many that came to Jesus. Your faith has made you well go your way. We, we think about Jesus taking the child and putting him right there in the midst of his apostles, this little child, this little child who had been ignored until he became of age where he could be useful in society, he said, no, 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 let me see the use of this child here, that you would learn that it is through a childlike faith. It's through a simple faith. It's through a trusting faith. It's coming to the Lord and knowing that apart from him, we don't breathe, we don't live, we don't exist. A simple faith. Let me give you an example. A simple faith. This morning, I'm, I'm trusting that 99% of us rode in a vehicle here. I know some of you live close enough to walk. Some of you had somebody else drive you. I know I got in my vehicle, Carol got in her vehicle, and we, we came here. No, no strife at home. We just get ready at different times. Plus, it means more cars in the parking lot. I like for folks to drive past and say, wow, something's going on there. I have to say, when I got in the car, and, and now I've got 160,000 miles on my truck, turned the key, I put it in gear. I, I didn't get out and inspect my truck. I didn't kick all the tires and climb up underneath it. I, I didn't look underneath it to make sure that, that everything was in place. I didn't pop the hood. I didn't check the oil. I, I didn't go and make sure that the gas gauge accurately measured what was in the tank. I manifested all kind of simple faith when I got in that vehicle and came here. I trusted it would get me here, although it has had occasion to, to fail me and such. When I got into it to go somewhere, and it did not provide the transportation in a reliable way. But this morning, because morning after morning after morning, I'd turn the key, I'd go where I'm going. And how many of you this morning got in your vehicle and you came here without giving thought to the reliability, the trustworthiness of the vehicle you're in? 
even though you might have great reason to suspect its reliability. The prophet Jeremiah, writing in Lamentations, one of the most amazing places to put a passage of Scripture like this, speaking about the great faithfulness of God. Jeremiah says, Great is your faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. That God's faithfulness, His mercies are new each and every morning. And we sing that, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. We're called to have that simple trusting faith that as I get up, as I get dressed, as I'm able to dress myself, as I'm able to shower, as I'm able to go to work, as I'm able to talk, as I'm able to hug my wife and speak to my son on the phone, as I'm able to do all these sort of things, I need to, to, to constantly be giving thanks to God because it's Him who is enabling me to do these simple blessings of each and every day. Well, see, in Israel, there in Jerusalem at that time in the Passover, that was so forgotten because there was such a reliance and a trust in the things that we do on our own. A trust in self, a faith in self, a, a faith in my own ability. But we're called to have a simple and all-encompassing faith of Almighty God. He says, have faith in God. But what of this audacious faith, this bold faith that he's calling to, this idea, like George Mueller, the idea that, that we would sit back and we'd sit at the table and pray that the Lord would provide, and that the Lord would consistently provide. They missed no meals. They failed to to make no payment. That God had always provided for them as an exercise and expression of great faith. We need to pray for great things. We need to expect great things. We need to look to God for great things, not in an arrogant way, not that we would presume upon God, but that we would trust Him to do amazing things. Andrew Murray wrote about this. Uh, this pastor wrote a, a, a great work in which he said, We must begin to believe that God, in the mystery of prayer, has entrusted us with a force that can move the heavenly world and bring its power down to earth. That God has entrusted with us that power, that power of prayer that, that moves heaven and earth. That it is the power of God come down And that the Lord hears and He answers our prayer that He has ordained not only the end to which we pray, but the means that it would be through our prayers that these things would be accomplished. And Jesus says here that if you pray, if you pray and believe that you'll receive it, it shall be yours. Jesus says, if you ask these things in my name, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, we, we think about that, and this, like I said, is not uh, simply that we would check the right box and use the right incantation, and God is forced like a genie to answer our wishes and desires. It's that as we conform our will to God's, and we continue to pray and to seek His face, that God will do amazing things. He hears and He answers our prayers. I ask you this week, not simply in the apostles, what they're being taught in the midst of this, but this week, what are we being taught? And ask you this week, how are you trusting God to act? Are you, are you trusting God to do great things? Not presumptuously, but expectantly. You see in our prayers, and the prayers that Jesus is calling us to here, and the faith that He is uh, welling up within us, we acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all things. God is sovereign in all things. And and we pray for things in accordance with His will, and we fuel our prayers by the time spent in His Word. We read His Word. Our lives are conformed more and more to the uh, the pattern of Christ. And as we do so, as we know the will of God, we pray with more and more confidence. And we pray, Lord, I ask these things in the name of Jesus. 
And we pray for all things tending toward the glory of God, the welfare of His church, for yours and my good. We pray confidently for these things. We don't pray in greed. We pray in faith. Now, as we ask, we need to know that the Lord is going to give us what is best and what we need, right? That's an amen. There we go. We pray for healing often. And it does not come. And that does not mean that we did not pray in faith. For when we pray in faith, I believe we pray in the pattern of Jesus. We say, Lord, this is what's on my heart. It is on my heart that my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my child, that I, Lord, that we would be healed, that there would be healing, that there would be a miracle, that, that this body that is so weak would be made strong again. Lord, that is what I want. I want that so much, but there is one thing I want more. And Lord, that is that thy will would be done. And Lord, that if this not be your will, that I would see in it your hand of love. That we would pray boldly though. And when you, when you worry about how do I pray boldly, how do I pour out my heart to God, let me encourage you to go no further than the Psalms. To read those Psalms. To see uh, the psalmists as they pour out their heart to God, as they weep before God, as they share their frustration with God, honestly, fervently, and expectantly. That we would pray boldly. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, believe. Believe that you've received it and it shall be yours. This is not a name it and claim it kind of promise. Blab it and grab it. This is that instruction of our Savior to say, as you walk with me, you'll know those things that are You'll know them better and better, the things that are, are, are perfect and right in accordance with my will. And these will become the desires of your heart. And you pray them and you count on them. So what do we pray for? Do we pray for revival? Do we pray that the Lord would make uh, hundreds of thousands and millions come to know His name this day? There would be a great impouring of, of the saints for all eternity that heaven would rejoice and we would rejoice to see that happening. Do we pray for that? Do we believe that's in accordance with His will? Yes. Yes, that many would be saved. Yes. And then we pray for that. We pray boldly. And Lord, would you use me today? Today, may may it be that I am able to share Christ with someone and rejoice in the fact that they would hear it for the first time or they would experience for real in the first time. And Lord, that that mountain would be cast into the sea, the mountain of their sin, the mountain of all those hurdles and obstacles that have precluded them from the kingdom, that it would be cast into the sea. And Lord that you would receive them. Father, that they would stand forgiven in Jesus Christ this very day. Bishop J.C. Ryle, he said this, he said, above all, we should cultivate the habit of expecting answers to our prayers. We should cultivate the habit of expecting answers to our prayers. We should do like the merchant who sends his ships out to sea. We should not be satisfied until we see the return. How many times do we say to our friends, yeah, I'll pray for you? How many times do we commit to praying for something? And after a time, maybe two, it just falls off the list. We should not be satisfied until we, until we see that return. And this is not being presumptuous on Jesus. 
This is, this is not being nagging. This is not being unreasonable. It is simply following the example that our, our Savior has given us by instruction of saying, the friend there at midnight, he kept knocking until he got the answer. The widow coming before the judge, she kept begging until the judge finally gave her what she asked for. And Jesus gives us that as an example about our prayers. And he says, how much greater is the promise and the assurance that the righteous judge, the one who is closer than a neighbor or a brother, will hear and answer. Ryle continued, he said, there is no surer mark of trifling in prayer than when men are careless about what they get by prayer. No surer mark of trifling in prayer than when men are careless as to what they get in prayer. That is saying that we don't recognize God's answers when they come. That we would pray, that we would trust, we would look expectantly It says right here that we would believe. And then the final thing that he says here, he says, and then as we pray, it has to be with forgiving hearts. It has to be. And when we go to the Lord, we ought to be thankful that we've been forgiven. If we're not thankful that we're forgiven, then perhaps we don't have an appreciation of how, how dark our sin is and the sacrifice of Jesus for our salvation. But Jesus says right there, he says, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, if we have unforgiveness in our heart, we need to recognize that we are not manifesting the personality, the traits, the attributes of the one who has saved us. If we are united in Christ, then we are to be forgiving men and women. Jesus takes this withered tree and it was a, a picture of, of what was coming to the, the chaotic state of, of, the, of the, the temple there and all that was going on in Jerusalem that it, it would wither, it would die. But what he's speaking to us about is that we would have a simple, a, a bold, a forgiving life of faith. Let me ask you a question in closing. Jesus were to visit us as he visited Jerusalem that day. And we'll talk about this as we talk about the tables being overturned. But if if Jesus were to visit us, if he were to look upon us as his church today, across the country, around the world, sure, but how about right here within these walls, what would he find? Would he find a tree that is full of leaves but devoid of fruit? Would he see a church that esteems entertainment and personal satisfaction higher than worship and sacrifice? Would he find basically an opportunity for spiritual massage and a pious spa for just a few moments on Sunday morning that we can leave here and feel refreshed to walk out of here and say, oh, that was a fine worship service and go on about our business? Is that what the Lord would find? And if so, does it grieve us that he would do so? Would he find a church comfortable in busyness? Or would he find men and women of a mountain-moving faith? Would he find the the chaotic busyness of money changers or the sweat and the labor of prayer and meditation in the Word? Francis Schaeffer, years ago, he spoke about the two great values that are shaping our culture and unfortunately shaping the church, and they're still valid today. The two great values that shape our culture and unfortunately the church, and they are two things. One is personal peace. That is, don't bother me and let me just be me. Personal peace, comfort, ease, a peace. 
That's the first great value that shapes culture and shapes, unfortunately, the church. The second is this affluence. What I want, I want more of. Is that what the Lord would would see, the leaves, or would he find fruit? Young fruit, yes. Fruit that still needs to mature, yes. Fruit that we would be excited about there being more and more, yes. But what is it that the Lord would see? And if he comes to your house, if he comes to see you, is it indeed that he would see the leaves of busyness or would he see the fruit of, of true, forgiving, bold faith? My friends, I I encourage you that as we continue in ministry together, that we would would pray, first off, Lord, we believe, increase and help us in our unbelief. Increase our faith. I would encourage you to pray for bold things. I'd encourage you to pray for things that if God doesn't answer, there's no way they'll come true. That we would seek to do amazing things for God. God. That we would not be a church of Marys and Marthas. We would not be, I mean, not be a a church of busyness, but we would be a a church of of faithfulness and attending upon the Lord Jesus. That we would do away with the chaotic doing. And that we would seek the quiet of be still and know that I am God. And count on Him to answer our prayers. And that the mountains of those things which oppress the obstacles before us would be cast into the sea and that God's name would be praised. And let us do so knowing that in Jesus Christ we've been forgiven and that we go forth in that spirit of forgiveness for his glory. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, this passage that we read, Lord, Father, we desire not to be a tree that is cursed by our Savior, a tree which is condemned for being all leaves and no fruit, Lord. Father, that is a terrifying picture. For Lord, it's so easy. It's so easy to be deceived into thinking that frenetic religious activity is true and lasting faith. I pray, Lord God, that we would know the simplicity of this to which you've called us that we would be students of your word, that we would hear the voice of our Savior through the sacred text, Lord, that we would write it upon our hearts and that we would respond in faith. Lord, that we would cry out in prayer to you. We would celebrate and worship of true hearts that have been forgiven. Father, that we with sincerity would draw near to you and say, Lord, make my desires your desires. Make my heart like yours. And that we would pray. And we would expect you to answer because you've promised to do so. I pray, Lord God, that as you visit, that you would see men and women who bear fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.